0: It's great to see you here this morning. Who's got their Bibles? My 10-year-old son recently said to me, he said, Dad, I've heard that at youth on a Friday night, if you bring your Bible, you get a -a chuppa-chup, you get a lollipop. I said, yeah, that's right, actually, that's right. I I figure that God rewards those who seek him, so we should reward those who... are." wielding the sword of the Spirit and bringing that along on a Friday. And my son said, when I come to Youth Dad, I'm going to bring my Bible every week. I said, well, that's great, mate. You'll get a, you'll get a lollipop every week. Well, take out your Bibles. We're going to be heading to Psalm uh, chapter, Psalm 95 this morning. And as you turn now, I just want to say uh, quickly just a big thank you to you as the church family. Of course, last week we had our big fundraiser for uh, the Vision Youth Camp coming up in January. And, uh, yeah, I was just really blown away, so encouraged by uh, your generosity. I know for the youth it will be a great encouragement as well as we just uh, head away in January and seek to invest and sow into the lives of the young people uh, for them to encounter Jesus in a deeper way, to grow in their faith and all those things. So I just wanted to say a big thank you, thanks to the youth for helping out with that. I've had money coming in this week still. There's still opportunities to give if you uh, so feel prompted to do so. Uh, but yeah, honestly, just, just want to thank you so much for your generosity. So it's, it's good. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that already we've been able to come to turn our attention to you in worship, to lift up your name, to surrender afresh. We thank you, Lord, that we've been able to partake of communion. Remember the price, Jesus, that you paid for us. We thank you now that we can open up your word. Lord God, it's living and active. It's alive and well. Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you speak to our hearts? Give us receptive hearts, I pray. Tender hearts before you. And breathe life, Holy Spirit, into these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read together, Psalm 95. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his For he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test. And put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. A fascinating text, as it's very much a psalm of praise. It's very clear for the first half, and then it kind of shifts gears a little bit and it turns and and kind of gives a warning for us. And I want us to see and, and of course, recognize and grab hold of the importance of that first part of the psalm, the praise, the the surrender, the worship before the Lord. But I also, this morning, desire us to uh, grab hold of and heed the warning that the psalmist gives. And so, in the midst of what the Lord is is kind of doing and stirring in this season, and as Andrew shared a little bit, as Ali did last week, just about this stirring for prayer and seeking the Lord, what I have on my heart today is an encouragement for us to be a tender-hearted people, to have hearts that are soft and open and tender before the Lord, not hardened or closed off or crusty as can sometimes happen. And so I'll preface it with this, that I, I feel as though what I believe the Lord's put on my heart this morning is, is kind of a little bit of a, a word or encouragement for us as a church in this season, speaking into where I feel as though we are at, what God is leading us into, what he's positioning, or uh, wanting us to, to position ourselves for. And so if we are going to be a worshipping and praying people, as Ali shared, uh, Just a great encouragement for us last week. If you haven't, go back and check it out. If we're to be a people positioning ourselves for the way, for what God is wanting to do, then I believe that we must be a tender-hearted people. For us to be a people uh, open to hear him, to hear what he's saying, open to hear and see what he is doing, and that our hearts would be be flexible, would be Be able to be moved by him, able and quick to respond to him, not rigid and resistant. So the particular kind of verse I want to just spend a little bit of time focusing on this morning is uh, verse 7 and 8 here of Psalm 95, where it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, the first encouragement for us this morning, God still speaks. God's word is still living and active for us today. Today, if you hear his voice, he's the one who desires to speak and lead and reveal himself to us. Will we position ourselves to hear it? Will we open our hearts to hear and respond to him? And it's interesting because uh, this very... Passage from verses uh, kind of seven through to the end of uh, the Psalm 95. They are quoted directly in Hebrews chapter three, and Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, quotes these these very verses. And interestingly, in that particular portion of Scripture, he repeats this particular verse on three occasions, as if for emphasis. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 3.7. Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Hebrews 4, seven. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. There's this emphasis, I guess, we should take note of. Today, if you perceive what he's saying, if you hear and see what he's doing, perhaps in our own context here as a church, if we can grab hold of the vision of what God is saying and stirring in our midst, what he's inviting us into In this season, let's not harden our hearts, but rather let's open our hearts before him and what he wants to do. Why is it so important that we do not harden our hearts? The Hebrew word used here in this psalm for harden carries the meaning to be hard, to be dry, to be stubborn, or to make difficult. And interestingly, the corresponding Greek word used in Hebrews 3, where this very passage is quoted, this word for harden there, the Greek word, its meaning is to harden, to make hard, to make stubborn, to become inflexible, literally dried out, obstinately stubborn, resisting the Lord and what he is saying and doing. Now, just a little aside here that if... You know, in life, if you're described in this way, this person's just hard and inflexible and stubborn and that's not exactly a um, positive or endearing description, is it? And so this morning, before you tune out thinking, oh, good, I'm not stubborn or obstinate in any way, none of those things describe me. Maybe check with your significant other first. Maybe check with those close to you first. But please don't tune out because, you know, when this encouragement is given, don't harden your hearts. Hardening of our hearts can be subtle. It can creep in. It can come and creep up on us if we're not careful. So this week in thinking and pondering about what it means to not harden our hearts, what it means to be tender-hearted people, it kind of got me thinking a little bit about pottery of all things. Now, I cannot lay claim to be an expert in this particular field, but I'm someone that likes to kind of have a a, a picture or an example or something in my mind I can grab hold of that kind of helps to to bring understanding, that helps to give a little bit more context. If you're not like that, that's totally fine, but please bear with me this morning. Now, I can remember kind of the main pottery that I've done in my life was back in Year 7, art class, something like that. And uh, we would go... And in class, we'd get given the clay. And the clay, as we received it, was uh, soft and malleable. It was easily movable. It was responsive to your touch. You could move it in whatever shape that you needed to. And I can remember forming and shaping this bit of clay into a pretty dodgy-looking bowl or something, whatever it was that we had to make in Year 7 art class. And, uh, you know, if you're doing it properly with a pottery wheel... My understanding is as you mould and shape the clay, you need to keep it wet, you need to keep it moist so that you're able to manoeuvre it and shape it. And so while the clay is soft and malleable, you can shape it and move it. It's responsive in your hands. If our hearts before the Lord are tender and soft and open, he is more able to, to move and shape and lead us in what he's wanting to do. And so... That all sounds great and lovely. Yep, let's have soft hearts before the Lord, all that kind of thing. But, you know, pottery, there's the next step. Once it's been shaped and molded, there's the next step, and that is the process of it going into the kiln. And this is the process of heat being applied. And what's, what's the point of that? In the kiln, the kiln hardens the clay. It dries it out. It makes it inflexible. It sets it in shape. It's, that means we're no longer able to be, no longer able to move it. It's no longer soft and malleable. It kind of sounds a little bit like the definition of what we've looked at, this word, do not harden your hearts, in the Scriptures this morning. In this process, the heat leads to hardness. It got me thinking that there's also a process where heat actually softens or melts. And the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter seven, he talks about the refining process. And how in our lives of faith, our faith is proved genuine through that refining process. Our faith that is of more worth than gold, even though it perishes, even though it's refined by fire. And this process, when the heat supplied metals or other hard substances are placed in a a crucible, and as the heat comes, it actually um, melts and softens the hard substance. The purpose of it is that impurities in the metal or the substance, rise to the top and are skimmed off so that it refines the substance that is hard. I want to put to us this morning that all of us will go through the process of heat being applied in our lives. Whether that's through the process of trials, whether that's through the process of tests that come, whether that's through the wilderness seasons that perhaps we walk through where it's like things feel dry, Maybe the Lord feels a bit distant. Maybe uh, walking through those times that some describe as the dark nights of the soul. Heat supplied in life through temptations, through circumstances, even through the discipline of the Lord. But how we respond in those times, what we allow to take root and take up residence, I guess, in our hearts will determine whether life will become like a kiln on our hearts before the Lord, hardening them, drying them out, removing softness, or whether life and the heat being applied becomes more like a furnace or a crucible, which is that refining process that will melt and soften, even hardened metal, that will remove those impurities so that there is something that is refined that our hearts are softened. There is a call and an invitation for us this morning to not harden our hearts, even when the heat of life is applied. So the psalmist writes, he says, that today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But then goes on to, to give us kind of a little bit of context, to give a little bit of a clue of what he might be referring to. And he gives these two names, Meribah and Massah, in the wilderness. Now, the psalmist mentioned these as a reference to Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. We're going to be in Psalm 95 mainly. If you want to turn to Exodus 17, you're welcome to. I'll just flick there quickly because I want us to see something this morning. And interestingly, it's the passage that Andrew preached from on the very first Sunday of the year, where he felt uh, strongly the Lord brought a word uh, for the year from this passage. So I'm just going to read uh, quickly from verse 1 of Exodus 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They were almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff With which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of that place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So the context here is that the Lord had brought his people up out of slavery. He'd brought them into freedom. He'd performed signs and wonders and miracles. They'd seen the the sea part. Even just a couple of chapters before where they came to a place where they they needed water and it was bitter and they were grumbling and complaining there, the Lord uh, makes the water sweet. Even just in the last chapter, the Lords begin to provide manna from heaven, bread from heaven for them. He was leading them into his plans and his purposes and into the fullness of Of what he had for them. But instead of being softened towards God, they became hard in their hearts. And it's a warning for us today because in our own lives, we too can taste the goodness of God. We too can know his power. We too can know the the, the joy and the, the wonder and the blessing of salvation and his freedom. We can sense perhaps that there are things maybe that are just starting to move forward. We can sense perhaps. Perhaps that we're on the verge of stepping into a greater fullness of what he has for us. I believe maybe we're in that kind of season as a church. But you know, if we're not careful, we too can harden our hearts. And as I mentioned before, it can be just a little, a subtle thing that creeps up on us. So if we consider and look at what the psalmist, and indeed what the writer to the Hebrews using this particular psalm, what they're pointing to, clearly something happened here. At this account, at Meribah and Massah, clearly something happened that hardened their hearts. Or we could say clearly something happened, the hardening of their hearts was marked by a few key things. And I want to put to us this morning, if if we look and examine this passage from Exodus, that the hardening of their hearts was marked by a few things. It was marked by grumbling, complaining, and murmuring, first thing. It was marked by discouragement and disappointment, and it was marked ultimately by unbelief. And I want to put to us today that in our our own hearts before the Lord, that if we're not careful, that these things too can also take root and cause our hearts to harden before the Lord. It's so important for us to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4, verse 23, and the NIV puts it this way. It says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. Above all else, that's that's a pretty big call. If we think about it, above spiritual disciplines, those things are vitally important for us. Above all else, guard your heart. Above serving the Lord, vitally important. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Watch over it with all diligence. I think perhaps because if we don't do that, it will will harden. That these very things that hindered God's people from coming into the fullness of all that he had for him can also take root and harden our own hearts. So how do we do this? How do we guard our hearts? How do we take heed, heed this warning? If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. I believe the first part of the psalm gives a few insights for us to hopefully grab hold of this morning. We must resist and guard against grumbling with gratitude. Have you noticed how grumbling, murmuring, criticism, complaining, all those things can creep up on you? Maybe it starts with, you know, you're driving to work and it's like, oh, why is it when I'm running a bit late I get every red light? Or Maybe it's like you're at the queue at Woolworths and you're like, ah, oh, farah. out. It always happens to me. There's always lots of people. I just want to get through and get home. And before we know it, it can fester and grow into, God, what are you doing? Why are things like this, Lord? You know what I mean? It can creep up. It can fester away. Before we know it, it can be a full-blown thing in our lives. But the psalm starts out, and I love this. It says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Let us bring praise to the Lord. And verse 2, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. There's something about gratitude that attracts presence of the Lord. That attracts his attention. He notices it. You know, I've always loved that account out of uh, Luke chapter 17, you know, of the the 10 lepers that come to Jesus and he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Wonderful story, but also quite a interesting one because only one of them comes back to thank the Lord. Thank Jesus. Only one of them comes back rejoicing and praising and giving thanks. And and Jesus says, hang on a minute, weren't all ten cleansed? Yet only one has returned to give thanks. And this is a foreigner as well. And what he says is quite astounding. He says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. There was a blessing that flowed to that particular man who was set free. We come into his presence with thanksgiving. And if we enter his presence with thanksgiving, I want to learn how to cultivate that. I want to be walking and living in his presence. I want to encourage us as his people this morning for us to to cultivate tender hearts, to have hearts that are open and soft before the Lord. I want to encourage us. Let us be a people who cultivate thankfulness, who cultivate gratitude in our hearts. If you find yourself grumbling, and you know, grumbling looks like different things. It can just be that quiet discontent that, that just kind of simmers. It can be that full-blown criticism that comes. It can be that complaint before God. It looks like many different things you find yourself grumbling against the Lord, against your spouse, against your work colleagues, instead of camping there, can I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired the writers of Scripture to put passages like the one we've read, to come into his presence with thanksgiving, who who inspired them to write uh, verses like, you know, the one who uh, offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, honors me. The same Holy Spirit who inspired, inspired the Apostle Paul to write, give thanks in all circumstances. Can I encourage us this morning to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to change our hearts, to lead us to that place of repentance even, where we need to repent of grumbling and murmuring so that our hearts do not become hard and crusty. And in addition to that, to cultivate thankfulness, let me encourage us to look to Jesus. You know, we, we sang a hymn. We, we had uh, two funerals here during the week, uh, both of which were, um, well, just, just blessed and precious times before the Lord as we, we honoured him and as we honoured and remembered uh, the lives of these two precious women. And uh, one of the songs of worship that we sung in on the, on the first service, a very simple chorus of praise, but it went, Give thanks Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Holy One. Why? Because he has given Jesus Christ his son. Because he has given us Jesus. You know, God so loved that he gave the most precious gift. And in a sense, he has brought each of us, or those of us who have trusted in Jesus, up out of slavery and into the promised land of life and freedom. And you know, for this alone... We have endless reasons to be thankful, to be thankful. So let me encourage us this morning. We must resist and guard against grumbling with gratitude. We must cultivate thankfulness. Ask the Holy Spirit to help us, but also let's remember Jesus. Let's be a tender-hearted people marked by thankfulness. Secondly, this morning, we must resist and guard against discouragement and disappointment by directing our hearts towards the Lord. Just like grumbling, discouragement and disappointment can creep up on us too. And if left unchecked, it can also fester and take root and ultimately cause our hearts to harden. This account referred to in the passage, Exodus 17, this place in the wilderness. If we just put ourselves in the shoes of God's people for a moment, there must have been a sense of disappointment. There must have been a sense of discouragement. There must have been a sense of, oh, what's going on here? There's that excitement of, hey, we're no longer slaves. This is great. To, oh, we're just in the wilderness. Oh, there's no water. Again, freedom doesn't quite look like I thought it would. I just want to go back to Egypt. What happens in times of discouragement and disappointment, if we're camping out there, is that we can begin not to just grumble and complain, but our hearts can begin to be closed off to what God is doing. Because perhaps it doesn't quite look like what we'd expected. Let me frame it this way. As as many of you will know, I was recently in New York. I spent three days there. Andrew and I, we spent three days there. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, you know, believed that the Lord was doing wonderful things in my own heart. The problem was it rained the whole time. Three whole days. Didn't see the sun at all in New York City. Just rained and rained and rained. In fact, couldn't even see the tops of some buildings because the cloud was just low and heavy and just hung around. Now, my experience of New York City is that the sun doesn't shine there? Now I can take that and I can form a bit of a narrative around that, kind of. I can, or, or to use kind of a more of a faith or Christian term, I can form a theology around that. The sun don't shine in New York City. I went there once and I didn't see the sun at all. That's that's my experience, right? But I'm sure you will agree. Now, that's not necessarily the truth, is it? You know, I've got a family member there, well, Steph's cousin's wife, so kind of distant family, is there in New York right now. She's about to run the New York Marathon today. Yep, today, Lord bless her in her run. But I've seen some posts that she's put up on Strava, this running app, and there's not a cloud in the sky in New York City right now. It is perfect weather, in fact, she posted this picture on Iran in Central Park. That I took the very same picture from the very same spot of the skyline looking out over this lake. And I was like, I didn't realize those buildings were there because I couldn't see the top of them because of the cloud that was there. But she's, she's posted it sunny and bright and beautiful. What's the point? It's a silly example, I know, and I'm in no way wanting to diminish discouragement or disappointment or what, had that, what may have brought that in your lives. The point of it is this. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In our lives of faith, there are many things that will seek to discourage and disappoint us. It's the reality of life. The problem is when we don't guard our hearts and all of a sudden, we form a theology or a narrative based on our experience. We camp out there, not on the greater reality and the truth of who Jesus is. And, you know, that can actually mark and shape us in in many ways. The enemy loves to keep us in that place of discouragement and disappointment. He loves to keep us in that place of believing the lie that God isn't good, of, you know what, everyone else gets the sunshine in New York but me. (laughs) I am. The Lord's been at work. I'm not hardening my heart. (laughs) This can look like many things in our lives. I've prayed and believed for that breakthrough before. I've gone up for prayer before. Nothing's changed. I've prayed for God to move in our church, in our city, in my family before. But, you know, I'm still in the wilderness and there's no water. I want to encourage us in that place of discouragement and disappointment to direct our hearts, to not camp out there, but to direct our hearts towards the Lord. In verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 95, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. He's a great God. This word great, we bandy around in our English language. It's, It's a great movie. It was a great game of cricket, it was a great uh, meal, whatever it is. that the Lord is a great God. That means that he is greater. His name is greater than every other name. He is great in his faithfulness. He is great in his power. He is great in his mercy towards us. He is great in his ability to make a way. He is great in his ability to break through in our lives. He is great in his ability to cleanse and wash us clean. He is great in his ability to turn around situations for good. He is greater than the situation. His ways are higher than our ways. There are times we may not see it. There are times we may not feel it. There are times we may not understand it. But he is the great God, the great king above all gods. And you know, our experience does not change his greatness. The question remains, will we, in that place of experience, in that place of discouragement and disappointment, will we direct our hearts Towards him, Will our theology be framed by the truth and the reality of who he is, or will it be framed by the reality of our disappointment or in our experience and our discouragement? Will we look to him and remember what he is doing, not just what hasn't happened in the past or what we haven't yet seen? Isn't the Lord merciful, though? <laughs> in this place where his people found themselves in grumbling and disappointment, he provides water for them. He provides water for them. What if this is the moment in our lives, in our church, in our city, where Jesus Christ, the faithful rock of our salvation, brings forth water? Even if it's not, what if our hearts would be softened and open once again to who he is and what he has done and what he is doing and wants to do? Let us be a tender-hearted people with our hearts directed towards the Lord, not camping out as can be so easy to do in that place of discouragement and disappointment. Let's direct our hearts towards the Lord, the great God, the great King above all gods, who is greater and higher and greatly to be praised. Finally this morning, praise the Lord, we must resist and guard against unbelief with worshipful surrender. I love what it says in verse 6 of the psalm that we've read this morning. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You know, there is something significant and profound about bowing the knee before the Lord. About bowing down. Because it's a posture of worship, yes. But it's a posture of Surrender. It's a posture of, Lord, I'm bowing down and giving you your rightful place. As Ali touched on last week, there's something significant about, significant about worship. And Here in the passage, as, as we bow down, as we kneel before him, it's a sign of submitting to his lordship. And really in that place, our hearts can be softened, the hardness can be melted away. We could say that the account in Exodus that we've touched on this morning was one of his people kind of failing the test, right? But through Scripture, there are many examples of those who passed the test, who proclaimed the reality of the Lord over and even in spite of situations, wrestles, unbelief. Another story in Scripture of some of God's people who did pass the test Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, that wonderful story where they refused to bow down to the idol, to the statue. And I don't know about you, but maybe they would have felt justifiably aggrieved in that situation. (laughs) Hey, we did everything right. We didn't bow down. We chose the path of God's way. And yet still they find themselves facing the fiery furnace. Maybe there was the temptation there to harden their hearts. What's the point? But their response is one of worshipful surrender and faith. No, we're going to bow down to the Lord only. Our lives are surrendered to Him. He is our God, and the God that we serve is able to deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we will still bow down to Him. We won't allow unbelief to throw us off course. Or well, Mark nine. I love this account of, you know the father who has a demon uh, a son afflicted and possessed by an unclean spirit. The disciples can't drive it out. And so Jesus comes, he's like, what's going on? He says, well, your disciples couldn't do out, but if, if you can do anything, maybe you could help us out. And Jesus says, if, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. And so the father, and I love this, this cry that comes from the depth of his heart, says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And he's in this place, really, where he's, he starts off saying, you know, if, if you can, he's kind of teetering on unbelief there. He's teetering on the edge of unbelief and disappointment and camping in that place. But when he sees Jesus, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. That is submission and surrender right there because he's acknowledging the unbelief. But in, in spite of that, he's saying, Lord, I believe. I'm going to... Look to you. I believe, help my unbelief. We must guard against and resist unbelief with worshipful surrender. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, the warning that was given there in scripture it was because of what the people of God missed out on. They missed out of stepping into, I guess, the fullness of the promise at that point. It was because of these things that took root, the hardening of their hearts. Maybe uh, Jeanette, if you're happy to come up. Because of these things that they missed out on coming into the fullness of what God had for them. There's a cost to hardening their hearts. There's was a cost to grumbling, discouragement and disappointment. I believe there's more for the Lord, the more that the Lord has for us. Let's not harden our hearts, but rather let's soften them and cultivate tender heartedness before him. I believe there's a call and a warning and an application for each and every one of us here today. For those of us who know and follow Jesus already the exhortation is hey let's be a people who don't harden our hearts let's guard against grumbling and murmuring let's guard against discouragement and disappointment and unbelief all of which if left unchecked will be like a kiln on that like the kiln on our hearts before the lord For those who are here today haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus, either here or joining us on the live stream, there is an application for you as well. This word today is quite an amazing word. Because God is the God of yesterday, today and forever. He is eternal, immortal, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He exists outside of time. But for us, we are bound by time and space. Today is what we have. Yesterday has gone, cannot be changed today is the gift that we've been given and each day we can know the Lord we can hear his voice each day we can turn our hearts towards him let me encourage us this morning let me encourage you do not put it off to tomorrow or the next day or when you're less busy or when you feel like you've got things figured out he is the God of today today is the day of salvation today is the time of his favour Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. There is a hope, there is an answer, there is a way to know life and forgiveness and freedom. And this hope and this life and this answer has a name and it's Jesus. Don't harden your hearts to him today. As his arms were spread wide on the cross, as he bore our sin and our shame upon himself, so too, his arms are open wide to you today to enter that relationship with him. Would you stand this morning? I don't want to give that invitation. There's a couple of things I feel the Lord wants to minister in. But particularly where I just finished there if you're in this place today and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus you haven't entered a relationship with Him you haven't received His gift of forgiveness and life and hope and freedom there is an invitation for you this morning to do so to respond to to not harden your hearts to not put it off but to come there is an invitation in that regard today. If you're here in that place, don't leave this place today without responding to that invitation, without saying yes to Jesus. It would be my honor and privilege to pray with you, to stand alongside you. And for the rest of us here, Maybe you found yourself in a place where, without realizing it, your heart has just become a little bit hardened. Maybe it's been the grumbling or the the murmuring that's just been allowed to fester away. Would you come this morning and respond to the Lord, respond to that invitation to not harden your hearts. Come and do business with God. Come and kneel. Come and... Repent where that needs to happen. Maybe you found yourself in a place this morning, that place of discouragement and disappointment, where you've camped out in that place, where you've allowed uh, that to, 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 to fester in your own heart. But perhaps you're struggling to see the greatness of who the Lord is. Where you're struggling to see or be reminded of what he has done and what he is doing. Would you come this morning receive prayer? You know, we had a a working bee here at church yesterday and uh, as I look around I see how clean the windows and the glass are. It's like you can see clearly. You know, sometimes just the grime and the the dirt just builds up. Sometimes all it takes is to be wiped clean. All it takes is and then all of a sudden you can see things more clearly. Maybe that's it's as simple as that this morning, to come, receive prayer or do business with God and, and just have some of that stuff wiped away so that you can see clearly once again. Or maybe you find yourself this morning in that place of unbelief and it, maybe it's just crept in in a subtle way. You know, you pray all the right prayers, you sing all the right songs, but really deep down there's that unbelief of, <clears throat> oh, could God really do this? God really provide the water from the rock? Could God really break through in this area? Whatever it might look like. Would you come this morning? I say this with love and with just a tender heart. Don't harden your hearts to Him. Would you come again this morning before Him? Allow Him to soften your heart. Allow Him to open it up again. It's as simple as coming and turning towards Him. So perhaps the prayer team could come at this point. If you'd like prayer for those specific things, please come and do so. If you'd like prayer for any other needs, they're ready and willing and able to pray and uphold you before the Lord. You're welcome to come for that. You're welcome just to come and kneel at the front. The altar is open, as it is every week, really, just to come before the Lord. Today, hear His voice. Don't harden your hearts. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Come before Him. Lay aside the grumbling, the disappointment, the discouragement, the unbelief. Come afresh that we might be a tender-hearted people that he might do what he desires to do in us through us he might lead us into all that he has for us so father thank you for our time together this morning thank you that you are so good and you are so gracious and lord i just pray for us as your people here today that lord we would heed that call we would respond and and heed that warning in scripture to not harden our hearts god Forgive us where we've done that. Forgive us where we've allowed grumbling, disappointment, discouragement, unbelief to take root and to fester, where we've camped out in those places. And I just pray all across this room. Pray for myself as well, Lord God, this morning, for fresh vision, for clarity. I pray this morning that that we would be able to have a grace to cultivate gratitude and thankfulness. That, Lord, our eyes Would be opened afresh, that we would direct our hearts afresh to your greatness, O God. And that, Lord, you would help us to surrender, to bow our knee to you, O Lord. God, would you just, uh, by your Spirit, minister to hearts in this place today? Soften them, make them tender before you, that we would be quick to respond quick to be moved by you Lord God. I just bless each and every person here with your love, with your grace, with your goodness Lord, with the awareness of your presence. I thank you that as we go from here you go with us. I thank you that we're starting a season of seeking you, of praying and uh, we look forward with expectation for all that you're going to do. We love you and we honour you. We praise you this morning.